Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast version, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You can also find information about my talk show appearances and any new book projects at MarlenePardo.com or go to Amazon and look up my author profile as Marlene Pardo Pelliser. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and also listen to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for Scary Storytelling, Nightshade Diary for Classic Horror and Adventure Stories, and of course, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests as we talk about the mysteries of the unexplained. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy theories, and just about anything that is plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm doing good. You know, I mean, I'm going to see this for a little bit, but we're still, you know, we're, we're in the middle of, you know, I don't know what to call this anymore. <laughs> you know, just stay home a lot. How's that? You know, everybody, I've told everybody because basically we can't go anywhere. I've been doing, I've, I've been forced to do a lot of farm work. It's like, I have no excuse to say I'm not working out in, in the back with the trees and everything because I'm here all the time. But, you know, now here in South Florida, remember I was telling you we went through like a drought well, now, you know, you know what that thing about, you know, when your prayers get answered? Well, my prayers got answered, and we've been slammed with a lot of thunderstorms, a lot, like days back to back of, and even though that's great uh, for, you know, as far as, uh, you know, when you have crops and everything, um, at the same time, you really have to... Um, you know, like I th- and I've said it so many times before. Uh, you know, talk about your priorities changing. That's the first thing I do when I get up. Is I need to check what is the weather. What's the weather report going to be? Uh, because everything that I do or my day is planned around that. And I know people. You don't realize that. Like I get it when you when you're like living in a different reality as in non-agricultural, <laughs> you don't pit. Like I said, I've said it before, before I would, looking, always hoping it wasn't going to rain because I wanted to plan my day like, hey, I want to go here. When I Not anymore. And so, yeah, I'm glad, I'm thankful that we've gotten a lot of rain, but I've got it. Now we go into where the jungles overtake you and uh, that, that requires a whole lot of work. And like I said, you know, you all hear those weird noises. It's that you know, everybody, the parrots, the roosters, everybody here is going to bed and they need to let me know. And everybody know that's within range of hearing that that's what they're doing. But anyway, guys, let's get to the good part. The good part being who I have with us tonight. And this is a gentleman that has been here before. And I'm so excited to have him back on. And this is Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer. Uh, He's also known as a psychic explorer. He's a fourth-generation psychic medium 
who communicates with spirits. He's also a successful attorney, licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. He graduated from Mercer Law Schools with honors, which included the study of law at Oxford University in England, and he also studied mediumship in England at the Arthur Finlay College for the Advancement of Psychic Science. He is the best-selling author of Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity, and he has an anticipated third book coming out soon, which we will definitely ask him about. He's appeared nationwide on TV and radio. He's appeared on national TV, including the CBS hit show, The Doctors. And he mentioned something that he's also going to be uh, appearing in an upcoming show, which we're also going to ask him about. Um, and the one, uh, the hit show, The Doctors, he provided information during a reading uh, that helped uh, that uh, concerning a cold case murder. Uh, he's also a featured speaker at conferences, expos, and universities, which include Brown, Columbia, Harvard, and Yale. And he is continuing the Mark Anthony 2020 Visionary Tour online by appearing on many shows worldwide, including this one. So please help me welcome the psychic lawyer, Mark Anthony. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, it's very nice to be here. Thank you, Marlene, for having me back on, back on the show. No, it is my pleasure. On the contrary, I'm super excited to welcome you back on. Um, and you know, things certain things seem to be happening that you you know you were we were discussing just a few minutes ago. Um, but let's. I'm not going to assume that everybody that's listening here has you know heard our first interview. So I want to ask you a couple of questions because I know there's people out there uh, as far as the your your title of psychic lawyer where people sometimes think of these are opposing uh fields you know analytical lawyer versus psychic you know how do how, how does that work with you actually uh they complement each other because both jobs revolve upon evidence i mean certainly attorneys need evidence to make their case and as a medium, I practice what's known as evidential mediumship. And what that means is when I'm communicating with a spirit, Marlene, uh, the spirit transmits to me information which I convey to the client. And it has to be verifiable pieces of information, in other words, evidence, to substantiate uh, who the spirit is and the authenticity of the contact. The other thing about both of my jobs and, and I just want uh, the listeners to know that I'm, I'm putting my entire focus into my mediumship these days, although I appear on uh, TV and radio and shows like this one as well, uh, where, where I um, discuss uh, high-profile legal cases. And I also assist with cold cases with law enforcement behind the scenes in my capacity as a medium. But I'm not taking cases and, and I'm not uh, practicing law. You know, but I have tried over 300 jury trials. I've been a prosecutor, criminal defense lawyer, a complex civil litigation. So I've been in the trenches. I've, I've done it. And both jobs are about helping, helping people. I know uh, a lot of folks have very negative views of attorneys. They think that you know all attorneys, like you know, when the sun goes down, we emerge from our crypt to suck the blood <laughs> of people. And 
And look, I, I know a lot of attorneys, and I can see where that reputation comes from. But it comes down to this. When do you go see an attorney? 99% of the time, it's because something bad's happened to yeah. you. You've been arrested. You've been sued. You're losing money. You're getting yeah. evicted. I mean, something bad is going. You've been injured in your life. And attorneys help people get through difficult times. Yeah. And so does a medium. Uh, by facilitating communication with loved ones in spirit, what I'm doing is helping people understand the continuity of life beyond the physical, and that is extremely healing for people. Yes, yes, I can imagine that sometimes, yeah. It, you know what, and when you think about it also, it's almost, because I know there's people, like you said, that want that communication with a loved one, but they're also afraid of being taken advantage of. So they wanna to go to someone that they feel that they can trust. Right. or that's reliable or that it's like well this person is not gonna take advantage of my grief you know so that i can see where people are hungry for it of course depending on circumstances yes and but nobody wants to be uh, have their weakness for lack of a better word used against them when you know it's when they in other words it's like i want to and, and and I'm sure you've heard you know you've heard of some people that they're taken advantage of because they're basically told stuff and it's very like not really accurate but they're so hungry for it to be communication with that person that passed away that they latch right. onto it and you know sometimes they they well that that's one of the problems with mediumship is that the history of mediumship is fraught with fraud. And there are heartless sociopaths out there yes. that prey upon people's grief. Um, I guess it's probably been close to 10 years now. In South Florida, there was uh, the Rosa Marks uh, scam. And mm -hmm. she and her family were preying upon people. She was claiming that she was a medium, which clearly she was not, because okay. a legitimate medium would never do those things. And she was telling people that their loved ones were trapped in hell and only she could get them out. Oh, and, and oh, she built uh, people out of close to $30 million. And uh, because, well, see, when, when you go to a psychic or a medium, uh, it should be, kind of be a one time thing. And, and what I mean by that is, if you want to go back, I, I tell people, give it at least six months or longer between appointments. Right. But if somebody tells you, oh, there's a curse on you, you're haunted, oh. there's an evil spirit attached to your aura, or all this garbage, it's a bunch of, uh, of nonsense, primitive, superstitious uh, um, garbage is all I can call it. Um, well, I can call it something else, but... The thing is, and then they start telling you that, oh, if you come to me three times a week at $1,500 yes. a pop, then I'll be able to get rid of it. That's clearly a fraud. Uh, then I've also seen these people that pass themselves off as physical mediums. There's yes. three different types of mediums. There's trance mediums, also known as channelers, like uh, the great Edgar Casey, who died back in the 1940s. And what right. Edgar Casey did, uh, Marlene, is he'd go into a trance-like state and spirits would speak through him. And he brought forth many medical cures and some really um, amazing pieces of information. Then I'm a mental medium. That means that spirits communicate with me. They're transmitting information into my brain, and then I'm communicating it to the client. And then there's people who say they're physical mediums. And while there's documentation of real physical mediums, they're extremely rare, 
Um, but they say that uh, they project ectoplasm. You know, we've all heard that from Ghostbusters. Yes, yes, yes. And the ones that I've observed, they make people sit in the dark and they blast real loud music in between the manifestations of the spirits that are supposed to be coming out of them. So you're in pitch black and you hear, <laughs> they make these slurpy noises, they're blaring music. And they say, oh, we need the music to raise the vibrational frequency, yes. which is a bunch of horse hockey because basically their helpers are walking around with night vision goggles moving things around in the room and it's corny it's like um in the haunted mansion at disney world when you go into the seance room and you see yeah. that first of all the woman's face like yeah. you know and, and that is absolute fraud i have not seen any one of those that i consider to be legitimate and that's the problem there are the charlatans out there however there are the legitimate mediums out there people who truly do have the gift, have the ability, and those are the ones that you need to seek out if you want a connection with the other side. Right, because I remember back in those times, as a matter of fact, this was those times where they, they like in the 20s, where they expected these mediums to produce ectoplasm out of different parts of their bodies. Yeah. And you look at that, and it's like, what? What does that have to do with... Um, what does that have to do with spirit communication? But it was like, okay, this was what they got around as like if you were a legit medium physical medium you had to have some stuff floating around coming out of your ear and other places yeah you know um the the trumpet flying around the room yeah, see yeah. i can believe people falling for that in the victorian era in the 1920s and up to the right. 30s what really astounds me is there's people who actually believe this nonsense now um however there there was the, the very curious case of Helen Duncan. And Helen Duncan was a physical medium who lived, she was Scottish, so she lived in Great Britain in the 30s, 40s, and 1950s. Mm -hmm. And supposedly, uh, during her readings, ectoplasm would be projected from her body and form an image of the person communicating. So unlike these, these charlatans today where they make people sit in pitch darkness, um, it was a dimly lit room, but people could see the, the image of the person. Now, okay. according to legend, Winston Churchill used to meet with Helen Duncan. She was his personal medium. And uh, one of the lectures I give called Rulers, Royals, Psychics, and Spirits, it goes into how psychics have been um, in the wings behind the thrones of power for yes. thousands of years. And uh, the British royal family and uh, certainly Winston Churchill were very much involved with this. And what happened with Helen Duncan is that it was, um, I believe it was in 1940, it was for November of 1941. Okay. She was doing a, a, um, a session and an image of a sailor, this young sailor appeared and he had the insignia of the HMS Barham which is a British battleship, one of their big heavy-duty battleships. Okay. And a woman in the crowd goes, Dear God, that's my husband. Now, unbeknownst to her or to Helen Duncan, four hours before that, the HMS Barham was in the Mediterranean, and it was moving to intercept uh, an Italian convoy 
which was going to be supplying uh, the German and Italian army in uh, North Africa, Erwin Rommel's Desert Fox, right. and a German U-boat torpedoed the Barham, and it exploded, and 859 men died. And so four hours later, this woman is saying, that is my husband. So um, she and other Navy wives went to the British Admiralty demanding to know what happened. Now, in World War II, the British were not releasing their naval losses, especially when one of their biggest and best ships. I mean, this wasn't a destroyer or cruiser. This was a full-on battleship, okay, 35,000 tons. I mean, this was a ship. And the British military wanted to know how Helen Duncan knew this. So they started putting her under surveillance. And then in early 1944, during a, a spirit communication demonstration, the British military police broke in and arrested her, and they charged her under the Witchcraft Act of what? 1735. Yes, and she actually was prosecuted, went to trial. It was a two-week trial. She was convicted of witchcraft. She was the last person in, in uh, Western Europe, in the Western world, um, convicted of witchcraft. And she was sentenced to like nine months in prison. Well, Churchill was embarrassed. And of course, his political enemies behind the scenes were vastly enjoying this. Oh, I'm sure. Because the British prime minister, unlike the U.S. president, doesn't have pardon power. So he couldn't just pardon her. And secondly, the question is, why did they do this? Well, the upcoming D-Day invasion of June 1944 when you know the U.S. and Britain invaded France to liberate France from the Nazis, and the British military was terrified that Helen Duncan could possibly do something which might expose the top secret nature of the D-Day invasion. So Helen Duncan remained remained in in prison for basically the duration of the war, and Winston Churchill. And I've never been able to figure this one out. He lost the election. In 1945, I mean, come on, Winston Churchill. But at any rate, he was reelected in 1950 as prime minister. Well, by that time, you know, he and Helen Duncan had had parted ways and she died uh, broke and penniless. It's a really tragic story. But um, one of the first things Churchill did in the 1950s when he was reelected prime minister was have the Witchcraft Act of 1735 abolished and instead it was replaced with the Fraudulent Mediums Act, which basically set the standards of what a medium can say and do. Uh, So so there's there's quite a fascinating history with that. That So there have been, yeah, there have been legitimate uh, physical mediums, but if somebody tries to talk you into going to see one of these people where you have to sit in pitch darkness and they talk in goofy voices and blast music in between it, save your money and go to Disney World's Haunted Mansion instead. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? That's that's surprising because we only think that that happened like what in the 1700s, like yeah, and it's still going on. Were burned and and nobody thinks that less than a hundred years ago they did something like that. Even if I'm sure that the the excuse, like you said, was wartime. How you know? God forbid they should actually believe that she was psychic. Well, her grandchildren are still trying to get her name cleared. Oh, really? Uh, her granddaughter, um, there was a petition online a couple of years ago. Uh, just out of curiosity, I was looking this up recently because I'm doing some research. Uh, and uh, so there's still the, you know, 
clear Helen Duncan. You know, she wasn't a witch. She was a medium. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's, you know what? I, I think as a family member, I would, I would be doing that. Because to me, it would be like, you know, at some point, okay, like, just admit we made a mistake. Sorry, but we made a mistake. Oh, sure. That's incredible. That's, that's incredible yeah. when you think about it. Everybody thinks, you know, if you, if, People would have probably thought, man, that's a great script for a movie. Uh, you know, um, really, I wish that was, a, you know, if I was a filmmaker, that's a movie I'd like to make. I think that would be amazing. So let me ask something, Mark. Considering everything, when did you realize that you had this ability of spirit communication? Well, it, it's when I was three and a half. Okay. And what is unusual about my family, I guess, is that this ability runs in the family. It appears to be a, what's known as a recessive gen genetic trait. Okay. For example, left-handedness. People are left-handed because it's genetic, and most people in the world are right-handed, so that's a dominant genetic trait. Uh, recessive trait means it can skip a few generations. But both my mother and my father were mediums and okay. it ran, runs back into the at least into the 1890s I've, I've tracked it on both sides of the family okay. and and the two families couldn't have been more different my dad's family where they were these waspy baptist pennsylvanians in fact my great-great-grandfather founded the church in my dad's hometown and and uh, but my dad his sister his mother and his maternal grandmother were all mediums and it was it was kept quiet yeah i'm sure yeah and i remember my dad telling me that uh when he was a kid he was probably about 12 or 13 years old and it was really bothering him because he was a clairaudient he used to hear spirits talking to him okay. and he knew that you know you don't tell people i hear things because he didn't want to be taken away and he was he was always working because they had a farm and all this anyway um, supposedly his mother and his sister and his grandmother had the girls, the ladies over on Thursday afternoons to play bridge. Well, he's listening through the parlor door and they weren't playing bridge. They were doing readings and there bringing in spirits. And my dad's like, oh my God, they do it too. And, um, and then my mother's side of the family, they had uh, emigrated over from Italy. And my maternal great-grandmother, her name was Giovanna, and she was well respected in the Italian American community of North New Jersey and New York City as the woman who knew things. Okay. And she was regarded with the respect of a, of a mother superior of a convent. And nuns, priests, bishops, even cardinals would come to confer with her on spiritual matters. Okay. And um, PBS did a special on the Italian Americans. It was a two-part special back in, uh, I think it was 2016. They actually did, they had an entire segment about my great, maternal great-grandmother, Giovanna, and they actually talked about her psychic abilities. Wow. So I come along at age three, three and a half, and I start seeing dead people, and I remember my mom was like, he's got it. And my dad's <laughs> like, he's got it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can't. It's it, and it's you know people don't realize that things like that, um, you know it. You can't help it. How's that? You just can't help it. Um, as far as uh, you know, and, and luckily it sounds like your family, you know, because there's that I've heard of people having that ability, and the family basically shames the kid out yeah. of developing it, like like. 
I mean, or even worse, they they just do not want to accept that they've got a child that has that ability. Well, uh, people, yeah, it's true. People fear what they don't understand. People fear the unknown. And then, you know, there's all these uh, biblical passages against it. And, you know, that's, I'm sorry with all due respect. And I was supposed to be a Catholic priest. I mean, I went to Catholic okay. school. And, and um, you know, because it's not unusual to be drawn to the spiritual when, right. when you know, you you are connected to it. Yes. But they're, they're, you know, when people start slinging Bible quotes at me, mediums are not of God, you shall not seek omens. It's like, yeah, well, it also says that eating shellfish, pork, um, is an abomination. Mixing uh, dairy and meat yeah. is an abomination. That your daughter, if she enters a temple menstruating, she shall be put to death. If your neighbor works on the Sabbath, he shall be put to death. I mean, come on. You know, let, let's stop. Let's stop interpreting infinity through Bronze Age uh, superstitions. Right. It, it's time to look at this, and this is what I, I explain in my books, particularly Evidence of Eternity, and and in the new book that'll be coming out. Yes, this is a gift from God. Yes, God exists, but God is not a neurotic, insecure white guy sitting on a throne smiting people. Right. Okay, well, he's got a scepter, you know, because that creates God as a narcissist. Yes. You know, and, and we all know what narcissists and positions yes. of power can be like. Well, that's not God. So God is is an energy. And Edgar Casey talked about this. I actually think that this is what Christ uh, was talking about, about the kingdom of God being within and how God is in everything and, and around us and how we're all brothers and sisters, that we're all energetically interconnected. And so now in the 21st century, uh, there's a bridge between quantum physics and faith in that we're seeing that the laws of physics are not violated by the concept of eternal life and that um, consciousness does survive physical death. In other words, we have a soul and who and what we are lives on after physical death. Right, right, which is, imagine why you use that title for your book, Evidence of Eternity. Because, you know, I think everybody is, again, they want to believe that, that there's more to us than just our physical bodies. And, again, you know, what happens to us? I guess that's the big question. You know, do you go to sleep? Do you go to heaven? Do you reincarnate? Um, what about ghosts? What are ghosts? Are those people that are stuck? What, you know, everybody always wonders what is comes after that. Um, of course. And what, what, what these, and I have heard sometimes that, especially when you're an untrained psychic, sometimes like, especially when you're a child, sometimes you witness things that are a little bit scary. Did that ever happen to you? Or how did you realize that it was basically dead people that were coming to you? Um, you know, it never scared me. I mean, a lot of okay. people are like, "This is frightening you." And I, I hear, I, uh, I hear stories from my colleagues how they'd hide under their sheets at night right. and be afraid. I would be like, "Cool," you know. I wanted to, to know what it was, but also I had parents that understood what was going on, and you know, they told me that you know you can control this, you can turn it on, you can turn it off. You know, talk to us about it. Don't talk to your friends or the neighbors because, okay. you know, they'll think you're and, and you know, it, yeah. it, even though we kept it quiet, we kind of were like, you know, the Adams family. In the yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> we, we understand, son. Don't worry. <laughs> 
but that's good. That's great. That's great. Um, and did you, um, what happened when you, I imagine when you went into law school, did you ever see yourself doing this work or was it something later on that you decided to do? Uh, you know, I never, when I was in law school, you know, and it's funny because, you know, I graduated college, I think when I was 19, I graduated law school when I was 23, you know, I was on a mission to save the world. And you know, they kind of teach that in law school that you're going to come out galloping on a white horse to yeah. save the constitution. And, and then you get into the practice of law and see, it's all about power, money, who's got the leverage and, yeah. and, uh, and truth, justice in America, our, our ideals of justice are lofty and noble but our system of justice i'm sorry but it's a joke okay because uh, because it's so so uh it's it's run by humans and humans are flawed and but but i would rather live under our system of justice than i would let's say saudi arabia's or iran or china's it's different in theory (laughs) and in practice because let's face it human beings like you said not everybody follows the script (laughs) Like, all right. Well, you know, I, I was uh, when I was a student, I remember being in Russia. Uh, I was in Russia. I was part of this exchange program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I was I was smart. I was young. I was mouthy, you know, and, I, and, and we had this guy that he, he was our guide and we called him product of the state. That's what we were calling <laughs> him. He was product of state, you know, and I think he'd had enough of my my comments because he was going on about Soviet Constitution versus American Constitution. And he's going how the Soviet has all these rights. And I'm like, wait a second. You're tell you would have us believe that the Russian Constitution really has the right of free speech, and I'll never forget. He like put the papers down. He walks up to where you know the desk I was sitting, puts his hands on the desk and leans over to me like or gets right in face and goes, "American boy, difference between the Russian Constitution and American Constitution is not freedom of speech, but freedom after you make speech." <laughs> and all of a sudden, it dawned on me what he was saying, and it's like, "Okay, shut up, Mark. Now this is the time to shut up." Uh, and it's also very true. So, you know, I see so many people bashing and crashing America, but I have been not just to Russia, but many countries mm-hmm. and the freedoms that we take for granted yeah. are really, really precious. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember back in the 80s, I have a, 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 an older cousin. She was a nurse and she did something similar where they did one of these medical exchanges for nurses, like they had a medical team like come to Russia. This, of course, is when this USSR, this is pre-Berlin Wall and all that falling. And I remember, of course, when she comes back, everybody's like, well, what did you see? She goes, wow. She goes, nobody smiles. She says, when you go to the hospital, you know, you know, over here, we're thinking if you share a room with somebody, it's tough. She goes, over there, they had like big wards with just basically lines of you know, cots, for lack of a better word, and your only privacy was a curtain. And she says, and over there, there's no such thing as retirement. And even if you're getting too old to, let's say, work, they would put you, like, sweep the steps of the, you know, the whatever monument. You know, they you there's no such thing as, hey, I guess I'm going to get my pension, my social (laughs) security, (laughs) and go live in Florida. (laughs) No. That did not, that did not exist. This was back in the eighties, of course. She was saying, yeah, she goes, and 
because people are really serious too. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just that it's really cold over there. But anyway, yes, I know what you mean as far as sometimes we took for, or, or take for granted a lot of the good things that we have that we just see it as, doesn't everybody live like this? It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we've been seeing this lately with the, the COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. how people don't want to stay in lockdown. And I certainly, certainly understand it because we're all suffering financially because of this. Mm -hmm. And personally, I think the government should be paying the people more money. And instead of bankrolling big corporations, providing loans for them that they have to pay back. But yeah. the people, they should be paying because then that would keep um, the protesters from protesting. Yeah. And it would also keep people quarantined long enough because all the experts are saying that if we do that, basically the number of the, the, con the contagion will, will drop. And uh, but anyway, I don't want to get off into no, all no, that. No, no, uh, but. no, but yeah, no, let me tell you something. And, you know, because my background's in mental health. And I said, you know, at the end of some of my prior shows, I said, you know, yeah, there's a lot of immediate pressing concerns. Absolutely. Economic health, obviously. But I said down the road, you know, that there's a lot of mental health stuff. I said, not the obvious ones. I said, but there's going to be a lot of people. This is the first time that society, modern society, in other words, you know, you can think of the Spanish flu where millions of people died. But modern society has gone through this worldwide. And I think there's a lot of people that mentally will be like, is, is, is this going to happen? You know, in other words, it's going to be like a whole new way of thinking that some people I know are going to have a little bit of a hard time dealing with. Yeah, you, you can still make plans. You know, your life still goes on. It's OK. It's not like any minute now, you know, two by four is going to hit you on the head. Because of what we were saying, people lose their jobs suddenly. I've heard of people losing thousands of dollars because they had to cancel uh, vacations and things like that. So I think sometimes people are want to get back to normal, but are almost afraid. Like, oh, you know. So I, I well, we are my afraid. Concern is that yeah. Yeah, people are afraid we're defenseless. There's no vaccine. And then there's all the conspiracy theories that yeah. Bill Gates is creating the vaccine to inject us with a microchip and all this stuff. And I'm like, so um, why would he do that? Okay, they say, well, so he can track us. It's like, yeah, but if you carry a cell phone, you can be tracked anyway. Right. And, yeah. and uh, personally, I know a lot of people that say, don't ever get vaccines. I'm sorry, I travel so much. Like yes. talking about canceling, I had a whole U.S. tour. That's why I've right. turned the, uh, the visionary tour, the 2020 visionary tour to an online. That's why I'm here on Miami Ghost Chronicles with right, Marlene. Right. Yes, okay. Exactly. Um, because um, we're let's take advantage of our technology. Right. But uh, I'm used to being in 20, 20 plus cities a year. That means I'm on an airplane yes. a good 40 times a year. Mm -hmm. And this has been quite the adjustment. But the thing is, we must adapt. Of course. And we must have faith in our scientists. And on the bright side of things, for the first time in human history, scientists worldwide are cooperating, yeah. sharing information, and working toward a common goal. Yes. And what this shows us, and of course humanity won't learn because, you know, people, people wow. being people, and it's not so much people, it's leaders and their egos. Right. But the thing is, if we put our brain trust to solving this planet's problems instead of figuring out technology, how to kill each other, we could solve 
the COVID crisis. We could cure the common cold. We could cure cancer. We yes. could clean up our air, our water. We could increase yes. food production without, you know, destroying planet Earth. It's possible. Yes, of and course. we are being given that chance. Yeah, it's but called, you know, everybody uh, on the common goal of that. And you said a very important thing. Take the egos out of the equation. Very important. Yeah. Very important. Because let me tell you something. Yeah. Uh, the egos usually get in the way, have found, uh, despite the best intentions of other people. So absolutely. But let me ask you something. You mentioned something that you had participated in a case that was a cold case. Yes. Do you... How, do you do do how do you work something like that? Do you, is it that you've got this? Do you see what happened, or do you have actually the spirit of that person? Let's say the victim, if they were a victim. Let, let's let's suppose. Oh no, it was. A, I'll you. tell you. Yeah. Well, well, what happened in that case? And I've done a number, but um, the case I did on the doctors, this um, young lady, Allison Feldman, she was brutally raped and murdered in her own home, and uh, she, you know, squeaky clean person. Okay, she was a pharmaceutical, I think she was a pharmaceutical rep. And uh, I was going to be on the show, The Doctors, and they wanted me to do a reading. And I didn't know anything about this. All they said okay. was, show up at this studio at this time. And they're like, now read these people. And they filmed it all. Long story short, um, she came through, the spirit of her came through, and she began to give me details and facts. And she told me that the killer will be caught, but he'll be behind bars when he's caught because he'll be on uh, on another being held on another charge completely unrelated and then um also i kept getting broaden the parameters broaden the parameters of the dna test broaden the, and the father and he you know he's a very nice man but he was very difficult during the reading because he wasn't cooperative and he was argumentative but then he started coming around and he said well they the police have the dna i said that's not what she's saying they have to broaden the parameters of the DNA test. And then I said, and I'm getting two names, Franklin and Phillips. And they're like, well, we don't know what that means. And uh, I said that this, this, is, this is what's going to happen. Okay. And then there were several other things I got like that she was left handed. I talked about the, the DNA and I, I could tell that um, from the spirit how the killer had tried to clean the, the murder site with bleach. Although he missed a few things, that's why the police were able to get the DNA sample. Okay. Long story short, family goes back to, uh, from L.A. back to Phoenix, where it happened in Arizona. Tell the police this. So the police, for the first time in the history of Arizona, implement on this case what's known as the familial DNA test. Oh, yes. Which broadens the parameters. parameters. yes. And what it does is it looks for um, not a 100% match, but matches of close family members. And immediately they found this one guy that was in, in prison on a child molestation charge. Wow. And they could tell that it was a close relative of his. And then his brother got arrested on his fourth drunk driving charge, fourth DUI. Mm -hmm. And the police were able to extract a blood test and they put the DNA in the system hundred percent match wow. so he was behind bars on a charge unrelated yes okay now the names Franklin and and Phillips the first time the familial DNA test was ever used unbeknownst to me was in the state of California 
and it was used to catch the grim uh, sleeper serial killer whose name was Lonnie Franklin. Wow. Okay. And he just died. It was just in the news. He just died in, okay. in prison. And then um, a couple months after the reading in the state of New York, a man by the name of Terrence Phillips was challenging the validity of the familial DNA test in court. Uh -huh. Okay. Too. So it was interesting the way the spirit gave me these two right. names. And um, from my research, um, the validity of the familial DNA test has been upheld in the state of New York. So, um, and so now the, the killer is, is sitting in, in jail in Arizona awaiting trial for premeditated first-degree murder charges. And you asked, you know, did yes, he showed me, or rather the spirit showed me what he did to her, mm -hmm. and I knew what he did to her. And... Um, all I can say is I hope the full force of our justice system comes to bear on this guy. And it's not for me to deal out death and judgment, but um, I have a feeling he's going to get what's coming to him. Well, isn't I was going to mention, isn't that, I believe that it, these are the same circumstances, how they got the Golden, Golden Gate killer. I know he went by several different names in yeah. California, that it was through the familial um, DNA. DNA. Yeah. That I mean, this guy—they have been looking for him what since the 1980s, and as a yes. matter of fact, they didn't realize that at some point that he was—it was the same guy because he was a rapist, he was a murderer, he was God horrible. Oh, and, DNA. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. That and look, look how it comes out. If it wouldn't have been for a relative that submitted their DNA, not not because of a crime, but I believe they submitted it for one of you know what people do now, just for ancestry purposes. And they had DNA from one of the one of the crime scenes, and that's how they traced it. I believe that's the story. DNA evidence has changed um, the face of the legal system entirely, and it's really been a good thing because uh, I know the Innocence Project that's going and looking at uh, cases where people have been convicted and they're sitting on death row, and it's finding that a lot of them are not guilty. Exactly. And then there's other people that that now, like in the case of uh, of Allison Feldman, that you can find a direct match uh, yes. to this. So um, our DNA is as unique as our fingerprints. You know, when people tell me they doubt the existence of God, it always it, it amuses me because, as far as our science can say and can tell, no two people have the same fingerprints. No two people have exactly the same DNA. Right. Um, coincidence? I can imagine as an attorney, how could you ever defend that? I mean, if that evidence is produced, how, how do you say, no, it's not him Yeah, or well, throughout my career, I had to, uh, uh, well, I was, when I was a prosecutor, that was one thing, okay? Because, right. you know, then you're, you're, you're yeah. the good guy, okay? Yeah. And you, well, at least theoretically, because right. the job of a prosecutor is not to secure convictions, but to mm -hmm. seek justice. Exactly. And uh, prosecutors are under an affirmative obligation that if exculpatory evidence, in other words, evidence that would indicate the defendant is not guilty. You have to immediately disclose it. However, there's always unethical prosecutors who are more concerned with their egos and winning than they are justice. Thankfully, they're few and far between. The objective of a criminal defense attorney, in, in my view and in my experience, is much more difficult.
because you know here you are with this person who did this heinous, horrific, dastardly deed, and you got to defend him or her. Right. And the way you have to look at this is I am not condoning or endorsing that behavior. What I am doing is protecting the Constitution of the United States. We are all guaranteed a free trial. We are guaranteed certain rights. It's kind of like, um, it's like, you know, when you play Monopoly, lawyers are the people who've read the inside of the Monopoly box. Okay, we've actually read the rules. And you got to make sure that everyone plays by the rules. Right. And because so many people say, well, we know so and so's guilty. Why do you need a trial? Well, because we don't live by mob justice. Yeah. And if you start eroding the right to trial, yes. where does it end? Exactly. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we could go on and on about that. But. Um, yeah, there were many times when I had to defend people who were just absolutely evil individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you have to do your best to protect their constitutional rights, right. not to condone their, you know, their behavior. Well, exactly. And because, and I'm sure that you found just because sometimes people look like they're guilty, sometimes it turns out they're not. Or sometimes they're not. Oh, or I of that crime, or of that crime, because we can't, you know, you know, you can't, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but from what I understand, you can't find somebody guilty and say, well, I know he did something else, but this one, so we'll get him for this one. And it's like, you can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that uh, the thing with the DNA, I know that as far as law enforcement and like prosecution or defense, it brings like a whole different... And I'm thinking to myself, nowadays, if you do a crime, whether whether I imagine robbery or murder or whatever it is, it's really difficult not to leave DNA behind somewhere. It's like, I think I would have well, it is. Possible. It is, you know, and it would be very nice if the type of people that would commit these crimes would sit down and, and uh, logically think that, you know, if I do this, I'll get caught and I could get the death penalty. But the problem is the type of people that do those yeah. sorts of crimes don't think like that. Right. Oh no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And and I know and I know for a fact that sometimes, yeah, there's mental health issues and compulsion and God knows, you know, when we're not talking either revenge or jealousy, you know, we don't want people to have that stranger on stranger crime that you think, why would you do this to this person? You didn't know them. You know, you, why would you do that? Uh, but they, 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 they're compulsive or they're like, or psychopaths or whatever, you know, there's a whole slew of stuff. Um, so in next, in that when you when you were doing that, were you surprised when this spirit came through, or it was one of those things like, I mean, how do you how do you know sometimes that what this that that it's uh, let's say a victim of a crime versus just somebody wanting to give a message to a loved one. Well, um, what happens is when a spirit comes in, first I get a gender, then I'll get an idea of the connection to the person that I'm doing the reading for. Okay. Um, I, I feel the love connection or the generational um, uh, connection. And then they start transmitting to me facts and details about themselves, about the person I'm doing the reading for, and then about how they died. And I remember I was doing a reading for... Um, the, this husband and wife and this young man came through and I said, I keep feeling this all over my body like I'm and I could see them shuddering. And I said, what? They go, our son was stabbed to death multiple times. Wow. So, I mean, I was feeling it like, you know, someone's coming up and jabbing me because what happens is 
the spirit is transmitting these sensations to me because because these are identifiers. And I've had people say, why don't they just tell you? Well, you have to realize this isn't texting or instant messaging. We're living in the material world, and then the other side's a different dimension. And as Albert Einstein said, there's no matter, there's just energy which vibrates at different frequencies so as to be perceptible to the senses. So we're here, I say, let's say we live in AM radio, the other side's FM radio. Well, I gotta bring my brainwave frequency up out of AM. Spirits have to bring theirs down out of FM. We get a frequency match. And so when you have that electromagnetic connection, they start emitting waves of frequency which go into my brain and then my brain's electrical field interfaces with the electromagnetic field of the spirit and then that impulse gets converted into recognizable concepts based on my memories feelings and cultural associations mm -hmm. so the spirit is telling me he was stabbed to death because i'm feeling jabbing sensations all over my body right. and i'll see things i'll hear things i'll know things i mean it's 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 fascinating uh, some of the material that that comes through. I mean, it's just. I mean, I was doing a reading for this lady one time, and her mother's spirit was talking about her son. And I said, "Does your son see things differently from one eye to the other eye?" And I, I go, "There's something about." And the, and the client said she didn't know. And then she called me back two days later, and she said, "My son told me he recently went to the eye doctor." And he oh, sees my. color differently in one eye than he does the other. It's a very oh. rare condition. It's like, I didn't even know there was. I mean, I've heard of like, you know, being nearsighted in one eye and farsighted in the other, but being colorblind in one eye, but not the other. And and now, now how could I possibly make something like that up? Right. It's like so obscure. <laughs> that's, that's really yes, like... It's interesting stuff. Yeah. That, you know, which... Of course, I'm sure that maybe what that spirit was trying to prove is to his loved one is, this is me. It's me. This is me, and I'm around you, and I'm aware of what's happening in your life. Right. Um, and it's fa it's just so interesting, the things they bring up. I was doing a group reading. I, I do um, large group readings, mm -hmm. and then I do what's called a light circle, which is limited to 10 people. That way I can right. guarantee everybody gets a reading. And there was one, this one uh, woman... And her father came through, and he kept showing me the seven dwarfs, but he kept showing me grumpy, grumpy. Okay. And I said, what's with grumpy? And she started laughing. She goes, I have a grumpy collection. I collect statues of what? grumpy the dwarf. And I'm like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> See, what are the chances of that? Come on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious. That is like, that's a one in a million. That's a one in a million. That's like okay. Does that? <laughs> let's face it. What was a, I, I've never heard of. I mean, I, I know people collect stuff, but what are the chances that you're gonna like? Like grumpy, this, this grumpy, <laughs> grumpy the dwarf. It's like that. That's like, you know, that that's unusual. Because if you tell me Star Wars, eh, maybe a little bit more, but grumpy the dwarf. It's like no. Now let me ask you. One of the things I wanted to ask you was that what you meant by the grief, crime, grief, as in. What, what is the relation? Is that something that you were talking about before or something it, it, that happens after the crime has been committed? Grief, crime, grief um, is, is one of the concepts that I discuss in my book, Evidence of Eternity. And earlier when you were talking about being a lawyer and a psychic medium, this is where they melded and I developed this. 
what I've found in my work as both the medium and as as an attorney, Marlene, is that many times in someone's developmental stage, either as a child, a teen, young adult, there's an unresolved death. Could be a parent, grandparent, sibling, a really close friend, and that's not dealt with properly. And I found in my work as an attorney and as a medium that uh, not all families have a mother or father and and they sit down and they discuss things and go to counseling. Many people are from, you know, uh, single parent homes or they're raised by collateral relatives or foster homes. And so when grief is not properly dealt with. And a lot of people are, you know, they're raised in homes like, hey, dude, don't think about it. You know, their father's, right. a, you know, right. uh, not, not, you know, he, he's not the model father right. or mother. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is the grief is not dealt with and you can't uh, ignore grief. You yes. can't drink it away. You can't snort it away. You can't smoke it away. You can't shoot up away. Um, you can't have enough sex to stop thinking about it. So what happens is the grief... Um, leads to criminal behaviors yes. okay so if you start drinking or doing drugs i knew one lady he used to steal things because she got the high from yeah. stealing things the okay shoplifting, shoplifting. Yeah. exactly mm-hmm. but take a drunk driver i mean how many alcoholics and drug addicts do you know that you've met you're in the mental health field that are happy people none of them no and they, they, they'll you, pretend if you look they'll, at pretend. Them, they'll pretend. So the grief leads to criminal behaviors, which can then lead them to inflicting grief upon somebody else. So you have an unresolved death in your family. You drink heavily and do drugs. You get behind the wheel of a car, never intending to kill someone, and you do. Yes. And so what I found is I know that in the criminal justice system, people with alcohol and drug problems, they want to get them to alcohol and drug counseling, which I agree with. But I also think we need to make sure that there's the grief issue needs to be dealt with. Let's get Absolutely. to the root of the problem Absolutely. as opposed to treating the symptoms of the problem. Yes. And so I have found in thousands of cases, both as an attorney and as a medium, that grief, crime, grief is a horrifying cycle and we need to break it. And so that's why, you know, when there is a death in a family and there's young children, don't it tell the child to ignore it or not think about it right they need to go to counseling it needs to be discussed it needs to be treated because you've got to break the grief crime grief cycle yeah no and and i mean i know a lot of it i know some families they think that they're shielding the child and i understand everything has to be age appropriate absolutely but sometimes children are of an age that they could understand given the right explanation, but the parents or the family, they want to shield them so they do exactly what you described. We'll not talk about it. Or they give them some kind of like little fantasy story, which the Daddy's child... Daddy's in heaven. Right. And, she, and the kid is like, no, you know. Or he went out, you know, he's taking a trip or, God, you know, you get like a variety of different... And there comes a point where kids are smarter. Like I said, age-appropriate explanation, but... Absolutely what you said, just denying or giving them some fantasy story. And then, of course, if they ever ask about it again, they're told, oh, don't talk about that. Don't worry. You know, don't worry. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't think about it. I mean, uh, a friend of mine passed and he left behind a four year old and 
And uh, his wife kept telling the four-year-old daddy's in heaven. And one day, you know, he was like, he turned five. He says, I tired of hearing daddy's in heaven. Where's heaven? Where is he? Right. So the daddy's in heaven right. wasn't working anymore. And this is where the, the counseling and, and telling the child what happened. Uh, life isn't easy. Life, life is difficult. You know, it's, there's a line in um, in the book The Hobbit that J.R.R. Tolkien mm-hmm. wrote, and uh, the the Hobbit Bilbo says it's a dangerous business going out your front door, yeah. and we don't think that. You know, you you go you go for a walk or you you know jump in your car or whatever. You don't know if that's the last time you're Absolutely. ever, you know, going to be in the material world. Yeah, yeah. I mean. And you know, and I know that, especially as you're younger, you think only old people die. You know, <laughs> you know, especially when you're younger, you think you're invincible, and or it happens to the other guy. And it turns out that. And sadly, is. yeah, you know, people say, "Why did this happen to me?" And it's like the better question is, "Why not?" Yes. Exactly. You know, nobody nobody is immune from grief. Um, death is something we all have to deal with. Uh, the journey through grief is a road no one wants to take, but it is one we are shoved down at some point in our life. And that's been the crux of my work uh, as a psychic medium to facilitate communication between people in this world and the other side. And also in my books, Never Letting Go, which is a guide on the journey through grief, and Evidence of Eternity, which bridges the gap between the spiritual and the scientific. And I, I want to go ahead and for all the listeners, uh, Marlene, of your show, yes. if they go to my website and they would like to certainly, you know, um, purchase the, the books, uh, gives you the link to Amazon there right. to sign up for my newsletter. But if you would like to book a telephone reading with me, and telephone readings are just as accurate as in person, if, in the application form, if you mention Marlene's name, Yay. Or the Miami Ghost Chronicles, you will be eligible for a reduced fee reading. Wow. And this is something I'm doing during the COVID crisis. But yes. you have to say Marlene Pardo and or Miami Ghost Chronicles yes. um, to to qualify for the reduced fee reading. Yes. Uh, because, you know, we're all hurting right now and we all have to do our part. And this is how yep. how I'm, I'm trying to help people. Hey. <clears throat> you know, and... Um, for different reasons. You know, we were talking um, before we started to record, Mark, about that there's been a very high incidence of elderly people that have passed away. And, you know, everybody thinks, well, you're old, you're supposed to, yeah. But still, that doesn't make it any less painful. No. For families, especially since some of them couldn't be in to see where, you know, if they were in some type of uh, assisted living or, you know, or things like that. Where sometimes maybe, you know, like to soothe their heart. I mean, like I said, my mom passed away recently. And it's, she was elderly. I knew it. I was prepared. I was prepared you're going to get. Still hurts. It's inevitable. But sometimes the circumstances have a lot to do with how you feel about it afterwards. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm sure that there's also people out there that even if it was an elderly relative or parent, they still want to say, "Are you okay?" You know, like, uh, "I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't uh, be there next to you." You know, whatever the case might be. 
Well, sure. Um, there, there may be unresolved issues. Not sure. everybody comes from. See, you and your mother had a very loving relationship. Some people don't have that. Yeah. Um, you know, some people the last thing, the last words they had with a loved one yes. who died may not have been all warm and fluffy. You know, yeah. we all don't have the the TV special where someone's laying in bed and everyone's around them and you get to make the speech to everybody. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Like sometimes. a Hallmark kind of channel, like yeah, a Hallmark. <laughs> you know, I have to admit. Um, I remember my dad uh, died. He died in 2017. He died um, in in early November. And what got me through that was watching those Hallmark movies. I know. Because I, know. I realized it was like taking a Xanax or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was pure fluff. And, you know, it's so predictable. I mean, you can always tell the plot 10 minutes yeah. into it. But it didn't matter. Yes. Because for... A limited period of time, yes. I was in this fantasy where the biggest yes. crisis somebody had was they didn't have enough chocolate chips for the cookies they had to yeah, bake. You know, I mean, like, some stupid thing like that. Right, right. You, you knew know, that, that, that at the end, everything was going to be resolved. Every, Good. Yeah, you know, the, the yeah. stressed female executive from New York who goes back to visit her families and runs into a guy that sells Christmas trees, blah, 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 fill yeah, in the blank. Exactly, exactly. But, but the thing thing is, sometimes we need that that fluffy escapism. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and it's yeah. safe. And, you know, for me growing up, it was always Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah. And I remember I when I met Kate Mulgrew, who played Captain Catherine Janeway of the Starship. Uh -huh. Uh, Voyager, and uh, it was really nice talking to her. She she was really cool, and she said, you know, everyone is entitled to an addiction. She goes, Star Trek. She goes, yeah. it's safe. You don't get arrested for liking Star Trek. You know, yeah. and, and and we were laughing about that. But um, there there is a reason that that people engage in escapism. Yeah. it's not always a bad thing. Now, the escapism of drugs alcohol no. and and um impulsive behaviors now that is what can take you from the grief into the crime to inflicting the grief right. exactly. so so yeah, that's no. you know and and uh addictions are very very dangerous things and you yes. have to yes. you have to keep an eye on that let me tell you there's a type of addiction that it's 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 called video game addiction by the way and people don't realize how how widespread it is. That oh is, sure, this is it's 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 basically because with an addiction in some cases besides the act you know if, if, let's say you're talking a process addiction like gambling or shoplifting or video you know you're not injecting yourself but it does that distraction you know it quiets the the anxiety uh, but what happens is it pulls you out of real life you know your your real what you're supposed to be doing living life goes on the back burner and those are the people that i'm talking not about the just you know you're playing your video games but the ones that want to do like all of a sudden their identity is the characters or they spend the majority of their days uh you know front you know these video game consoles and even if they go out they want to just like an addict they're waiting to run back home so they can play again and uh and I point that out because sometimes when you say addiction, everybody always thinks of like what you said, illegal drugs yeah. uh, or you know, stuff like that. And there's a lot of things that will pull you out of real life, um, i.e. also the, the good and the bad, the tragedies, the bad feelings, the negative things that happen to people. It's like, hello, 
that's the human condition, you know, uh, to that, that pretend. Because, and you made a good point, Mark, when you were watching these, these Hallmark movies, which were, and it was like a bridge. It was something that you use. And I myself do it. Sometimes I go through these 1980s movie binges <laughs> because I've seen it a million times. The plot's very predictable and everything, but it's like, oh, I got that. I remember the 90s. This was a great time. And, you know, oh, all right. And everybody had a, you know, mullet cut and, you know, and wore, <laughs> you know, the ponytail coming out of the side of your head. But, hey, it's, it's okay. But that's about the extent of it. It's like, um, but now I live in the 21st century. And uh, it is what it is, the good and the bad. And, and I'm sure there's going to be times in the future where people think back and go, yeah, you know, those good old days back in the 21st century. So life was so simple back then. You know, of course, we, we become, um, and, and I do a lot of research and, and, and I read sometimes clippings of old newspapers. And you'd be surprised sometimes how repetitive or something that happened 100 years ago was very earth shattering to them back then. And we look at it, we're like, you know, but it was the same thing. Concerns about the economy. Um, back then, let's say when they had the Spanish flu, it was different things that kind of, there's also a cycle of repetition and we come through it you know at the other end. Interesting along along those lines. In uh, the city of Pompeii, uh, that, that was destroyed by yeah. the, you know, volcano back in the first century AD. When archaeologists were excavating it, they found on a bunch of the walls graffiti that ancient Romans had written. And it was political. Yeah. It was sexual. Yes! <laughs> um, I mean, it was... The, 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 the um, article that I read, they were saying it is so much like the graffiti of today. And, you know, you don't think about ancient Romans writing graffiti... No. Um, and and it, it's hilarious, you know, because you see people write, you know, I don't like this particular politician or blah, 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 and I'd really like to do yeah. this. Was a, and it's funny because the, the sexual graffiti, they're writing about various gladiators. Apparently, right. you know, the gladiators were the, you know, the thing back then. And it was just so interesting you know, how much of people really changed, you know. I mean, I've been all over the world, and I would say that most people, the vast majority of people, want to have a roof over their head yeah. they want to have enough money to to eat they want to come home from a job yeah. to somebody who loves them and they want their children to live in a safe neighborhood and yeah. be able to go to school yeah. okay the problem is you get the ego people the religious fanatics the jihadists the, the christian fanatics extremists you get the <laughs> extremists the, the political <laughs> narcissists you know you've always got to have the control people yeah. uh, you know and and they are the ones that seem to to spoil the lot you know and somebody was telling me they said, look at all these people that are rebelling, you know, um, in Michigan and all these other places. And and they want to overthrow these rich people that are running things. And I said, well, that's happened before. Yeah. OK, it's happened many times in history. Remember in the French Revolution yeah. when the people were sick of the kings yeah. and they got rid of the king and they ended up with Napoleon. Gee, yeah. that was an improvement. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they just went through just about everybody. <laughs> it was they like for everybody. Then they end up with something worse than they could have possibly yeah, it was, imagined. It was, it was, yeah, you know? it was like, yeah, the, the and it's true. And, and I've said it before on the shows, we're complex, but at the same time, happiness for most humans, like I said, most. 
it's quite simple, like what you described. It's not that complicated. It's not, you know, we're not that complicated. Um, and and I want to say most of us are kind of resistant to change. So I think that's why a lot, of, a lot of people are wigging out now going, oh, why? You know, I like you said, I just want to go to work and watch my Netflix. And I had plans to go on vacation or my wedding or my, you know, all these things that, you know, that, that every day, when I say every day, normal people are engaged in, you know, that make you happy, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, that's that's why I think a lot of people, we want to go back to our rut, even though sometimes people complain a lot about the rut. We want to go back. Yeah, to now they rut. miss it, don't they? You know, yeah. yeah, of course, of course. So uh, I'm going to go ahead, Mark, and I'm going to include the, the link in the credit to the show to your website. And again, I'm going to mention what you said about the discount, because I think that there there is a hunger there. Um, regardless of the reason for people sometimes reaching out to people that have departed. I think sometimes you are absolutely right. Sometimes it takes sometimes years after the death, maybe of somebody that they didn't have the best relationship, but they're kind of over it. Like now they're ready maybe to reach out and get in touch with that person. I imagine it right. doesn't always have to be a recent death. No, it can be, um, um, the person may have passed years ago. There's no expiration date on spirit communication. Right, right. And sometimes, sometimes people right away, I imagine, are just not ready. They're like... No, I always tell people to wait at least six, four to six months after the passing. Because if you come right afterwards and you're hysterical, crying, and you're upset, mm -hmm. of course you want the contact. But what are you going to get out of the reading if you're not able to listen or you're in that that fog of grief where you right. can't pay attention? And so four to six months, the new normal has begun to form yes. and there's emotional stability. And then you'll be able to get the maximum benefit out of the reading because I've had people that wanted to come to me right away and, and they were just they were crying and overcome with the yes. grief. And, and certainly I understand that. But spirit communication um, is an important therapeutic step in the journey yes. through grief, but when you're ready for it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And most importantly, that uh, they cannot undo what's happened, in other words. Um, there's just no way to undo it or make it different or have a different outcome, for lack of a better word. Uh uh, yeah, I, I can see absolutely. Those are, that's a very wise counsel as far as telling people you just need to wait a little bit uh, before you, you use somebody like me to to reach out and whatever validation, which I imagine a lot of people don't they just want to know that other person's okay. Like, oh yes, many times, and uh, the and of course the spirits are always okay, but. And people are like, well, I don't know what how that would help me. It's going to help you a lot. It, it helps you understand that God exists, heaven exists, or the afterlife, whatever you want to call it. Our soul's an immortal living spirit. We can communicate with those souls and that we'll be reunited with them when it's our time to cross into the light. Yes. And spirits are not here to frighten us or harm us, but they can also offer important guidance. Plus, during the readings that I do, I get a tremendous amount of medical information about the person that I'm doing the reading for, because spirits can give that. And I've got so many instances where they've highlighted and alerted somebody to a very serious wow. problem 
that that they're able to head off at the pass. And unfortunately, I also have stories where people who outright rejected what was coming through sorely regretted it afterwards. Yeah, I can see that happening. Again, Mark, thank you so much for the time you. you spent. And I want to wish you the best of luck on your tour. Thank you. Namaste. And I mean, namaste. It's like, hey, what is that thing about you? You're taking the bull by the horns and, you know, you're... I, I, I'm always got my thumbs up for people that say, okay, this is what's happening. I'm going to work it out. And hey, like you said, let's take advantage of our technology. Thank you. Take God care. bless. Likewise. Bye-bye. Wow. Let me tell you something. That's very powerful information, by the way. I want you to understand that. Very, very powerful information. And the reason I say this is, I wasn't kidding, you know, um, and, and, and right before we started rolling, I, I lost my mom. She was 90 years old, right? November, uh, December 28th, as a matter of fact, like what days before this thing got started going. And I was telling her, I said, you know what? My mom, she, uh, she had very, you know, how she, you're 90 years old. She, I, I knew it. She had already been, she was in assisted living and hospice and so forth. So it was one of those things that it's not like wow what a surprise and you and I told him you know what I'm glad she died when she died because I think it would have been so difficult because you hear of so many families of their loved ones the elderly people being in these nursing homes and not being able to make sure you couldn't you can't see them you're not allowed to go see them uh, you don't know what's happening um, that it was like in a way it was like it was a blessing in disguise it was a blessing in disguise because I don't know what I would have done not knowing is she okay is she or, or you know having to you know um go with a go between and especially when you have an elderly person like my mom that she had dementia and Alzheimer's and you know that it's not like somebody even if you're elderly that you can say talk or even let's say call on the phone because that's another thing you can call on the phone. Let's say if you've got an elderly person, they might have health problems, but they can talk on the phone. And at least you can speak to them via the phone if you can't go see them into where they're at. But if you have a, a, a loved one that cannot even do that, that's a tough one, let me tell you. So, like I said, I'm going to have a link to to Mark's, um, to Mark's website if you guys want to get a reading from him because... And then there's other people, I'm going to say, um, whether you've been touched by this thing with uh, uh, this COVID thing or not, or, you know, you've been, for some people, it reminds them of our mortality. Uh, and it almost, you know, there, there are certain people, believe it or not, especially if they had a turbulent relationship with a loved one, especially a close loved one that they suppress the sadness or suppress feelings or ignore it or in other words refuse to experience the grief that comes with having a reading because god knows especially if you had a difficult relationship with this person you're wondering am i going to reach out to this person and they're going to we're going to take you know what we left off which was either maybe an argument 
I mean, I've heard of that. You know, people die unexpectedly, and the last words exchanged between two people was an argument. Uh, is this person going to say something to me and make me feel worse? Are they still mad at me? Uh, things like that. And sometimes moments like this when people are reminded of our mortality, they're kind of ready for that moment of, you know what? They, they kind of, In other words, they're not a coward anymore. And they're ready to reach out and see if they can communicate or receive some type of communication from this person uh, that passed away. My experience that I've heard is that usually people that are afraid, usually the, the communication is very good. They, it's, it, from what I understand, most people say it, if they have a wound in their heart, it soothes it because no matter how bad or turbulent or, you know, argumentative the relationship might have been between people when they were alive, it's almost like that person, uh, it's, it's, they're different. They, are, they aren't and they are. In other words, they have no interest in resuming warfare, on the contrary. And uh, I've heard of a lot of people saying, you know, I don't know why I delayed that. Because after I had that reading, it's been the best thing that I ever did. Because I feel better. It soothed my heart. I, I've always, you know, like, like that thorn or that burr under the saddle kind of feeling. Uh, and, and I didn't, I was afraid of doing it. I was afraid of what if this person said something and, you know, and I, I, to be honest with you, I can't remember anybody saying, no, it was horrible. You know, sometimes it's, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, harsh words that were spoken doesn't matter anymore. Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. I'm happy. Did I, or don't worry. You know, people sometimes they feel bad. Somebody passes away. They couldn't or wouldn't go to their bedside when they were dying. And the other person says, don't worry. I understand. It's okay. You know, it happens. People change. You know, you know, what is it that, 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 you know, when you're mad or when you're upset, uh, guilt, all those things sometimes, um, having sometimes the readings puts it in perspective as far as it doesn't matter anymore. Especially, I want to say, especially when it's a turbulent relationship that's been like that for years, Okay between family members, friends, even close It's just a turbulent relationship for years, argumentative, you name it. I mean, then you think, wow, you know, this, this is forever. Um, there's a rift here that cannot be mended. And it's almost like once this deceased, this person, the deceased one goes over, like, like they have the bird's eye view of really what's important in life and they realize sometimes it doesn't matter anymore, you know. And this other person <clears throat> or persons that are left behind, they don't understand sometimes how thirsty they are to receive that it's okay, I'm okay, it doesn't matter anymore kind of message. And not until they hear it, in other words. And then they feel that, that weight lifted off their shoulders, perhaps, or that doubt, or that um, 
guilt or even the, the, the you know, what did you think? Well, how can you stay being mad at somebody that's dead? Yeah. Some people get mad at other people for dying on them. I know it sounds like, wow, talk about the, 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 you know, how can you be mad at somebody? I've even heard of it in cases of suicides where, um, yeah, some people go through these stages of grief where they get mad at the person that committed suicide, but then there's people that get stuck on that, you know, like the needle on the, on the record, you know, once upon a time, yeah. For those people that remember what turntables are, they get stuck there and they never go beyond it. They get so upset that that person did something, either risky behavior or they took their own life or, or something or that they never get beyond it. They just stay mad. They just stay mad. Or or you abandoned me or you left me behind or how could you? Uh, or you didn't give me a chat. God, there's a variety of things. And uh, they don't realize how much that is there and he made a very, very, very good point about, especially when you're a child, and I've spoken about this before, you know, when you're a child, you are under the control of an adult or adults. Um, and in the, the, what he said in the case of a loved one or somebody passing away, but you have to understand for a child, who they really care about as far as deaths are for somebody that they know and love. Okay? In other words, let me give you an example. If you have a child who has a parent who they've never had any contact with, is not important in their world, and that person dies, they really, they, they don't fake it. How They don't know how to feel. They don't have, you know, you know, like a sadness because a child's world is more, who they care about it, it's, the family or the people or the parent or whoever's around that takes care of them. The person that's there, that daily, that bonding. And it's when one of these people in their world passes away that then, like I said, age appropriate, of course, that you need to give them some type of explanation. Um, and, you know, and also ask them how they feel and what they think. And a lot of times, what do you, what do you feel? And they'll tell you, kids, some, or something they'll try to. And then, you know, you might have to give that explanation more than once. Because sometimes you say something to a kid and they kind of digest it a little bit. And they come back to it and they go, well, but, like, like what you said, well, what is, you know, be prepared to say, well, this child is going to come back. We can ask them. Is there something else you want to know? Did you did you understand what I explained to you? Go ahead, ask me whatever you want. You know, sometimes that's a very very difficult thing for an adult who might be grieving themselves to do. Because they're burdened down by, obviously, their own grief or by not wanting to talk about it. But you know, if you're an adult responsible for a child, you owe that child that because that child depends on you to help them understand it and deal with it. Because believe me, as a parent, we want to protect our children at all costs from all negative. And sometimes you try your best to do so, but then certain things happen that are beyond your control and you're faced with 
that kind of situation where this child is being impacted by the death of somebody that they loved or was close to them. Sometimes it's even a pet. I, I know people are going, yeah, children sometimes are very attached to their animals. Whatever the case might be. I'm not saying uh, the loss of a human being is more important. But whatever the case might be, that, you know, you need to try to make them understand what is the concept of death, what happens. And let them ask you. And then be ready for another question. Maybe a couple of days later. When they'll do that. <laughs> or people that have children, they'll understand. But why? <laughs> oh yeah, when you give an answer, yeah, but why? <laughs> it's like, okay, this is going to go ad infinitum. But why? Uh, because they just, they're just like trying to open their minds to this new experience or... Um, your concept of time. Let's face it, when you're a child, you say a year, a year is like forever. You mean a year? I have to wait a year? Christmas, another year? You know, a holiday, my birthday, another year? A year was like forever. Because your concept as a child of time is very different as when you're an adult. So, yes, I have seen what he described where people uh, internalize that grief because it's just never handled appropriately when they're a child and they they just start doing they have different coping mechanisms and you know some people I've heard you know especially let's say it's a sibling group you know it's a, let's say the example of a parent that passes away and you'll have one sibling which is hurt, but they don't go wonky on you. They hurt, but and there's the other one that is totally ends up doing. And everybody's like, well, but that one. And it's like, yeah, but we're all different. We're all different when it comes to grief. There's a lot of different reasons. Uh, while you'll have one person more affected than the other because we're not... That one-size-fit-all emotional response, that doesn't work that way. You know, it, 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 just, it just doesn't. Um, so that, that thing about, like, well, well, one sibling handled it, why can't you? Uh, or, you know, or, and this is my favorite, you know, you have to be a big boy about this, or you have to be a big girl, or, God forbid, you know. Uh, you know that, and I and I have seen this where all of a sudden they try to make the child. Um, well, now you have to be like the adult. You don't have to be an adult about this kind of like they they want to rush this child into adulthood because now hey we don't have time to let you be a child anymore. That is disastrous. That is disastrous. Um, especially wow if it's not handled appropriately. You know, no doubt uh, a child's going to be affected, the composition of a family, but there's different ways. And the last thing you want to do is to hurry your child into adulthood or adult problems or asking them to be the adult to resolve problems that, that are not meant for a child to resolve. That's what a parent or a caretaker is for. I'm going to help you, but don't worry. I will take care of the problem. I will handle it. Don't worry about it.
you know, you know, because I've seen that. I've seen that where a surviving parent or adult always almost wants to bring in this child that is absolutely not age ready and starts putting their woes on them or wanting them to, and you can't do that. It's like you have to put on your big boy pants or big girl pants and protect your child or children from things that they're not ready for and tell them, don't worry, I will handle it. I will take care of it. You know, all I need for you is, you know, I'll be there, you know, I need you to, you know, let's, let's do, you know, I want you to pay attention at school. Things that are within their scope of control, but you don't lay things on them that they're not ready for. And I've seen that happen, unfortunately, uh, because it's just the kids there, you know, or you have a parent that's overwhelming and I got to take care of you. Well, I need to lay it on you and tell you how much of a burden you are because now I have to take care of you and blah, 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 blah. No, you don't do that. You don't do that. And I want to circle back to what Mark does, which is maybe you're one of these adults that needs to go and have a reading and maybe reach out to this person and say, are you okay? And by the way, you know, maybe I realize I'm really mad because you were supposed to be here and help me bring up our children. This is a for instance, of course. And, you know, I, I love you, but I can't help that you know, you kind of like, uh, in other words, you can't help feeling the way you do, even though you know that that person perhaps didn't do it intentionally. Let's say somebody passes away from a disease or an accident and they they didn't choose it, but it happened. But you, you can't help it. You're mad. And sometimes having a reading helps you. Maybe that person says something like, I, I didn't mean to, or, uh, you know, I'm not there, but I am there. In other words, I'm trying to look out for you. I'm, I haven't abandoned you all the way. You know, I might not be physically there, but I'm still, I'm aware of what's going on. And th- let me tell you something. Sometimes things like that, communications like that, helps a lot. Helps a, lo- a person like let go of that. What if, or how could you kind of like shadow boxing that people do in their head? Um, and move on because inevitably that is what your choice is, uh, live and thrive and carry on, especially for the ones, if you have children, especially if you have children for the living or for yourself, very importantly for yourself as well. You know, there's a lot of people also that want to do the martyr thing. They want to be forever, be the martyr, uh, over this person's death. And a lot of times I think that once they have a communication, um, you know, with their loved one, let's say if it's a widow or widower, this person might tell them, you know, keep going, marry somebody else, meet somebody else, have other children or have, you know, get married and have children or whatever, whatever the circumstances were that pertain to their lives. It's like, you're not, I'm not expecting you to forever be uh, loving me and I will be mad or that you're betraying me because you've done with your life. 
And you think, well, aren't there a lot of people that do that? There's a lot, but there's a lot of other people that get hung up and they have always this, like they owe it to that person, even if that person's dead. And sometimes hearing it, let's say in, in, in a, let's say in a communication, let's say like a, a medium like, like Mark Anthony, that you know, especially after they give some type of validation so that other person knows, yeah, I, this is really so-and-so, that that person says, I don't want you to be my, you know, forever stuck in the house waiting for what? I'm okay and it's okay. And what I want, what I would hope for you is for you to move on with your life. And you'd be surprised because there's a lot of people that will happen and they'll have loved ones going around saying, well, you know, so-and-so would have wanted you to move on. But there's something that just makes it different when you have a reading where that person is coming through and telling you themselves, I want you to move on. It's okay to move on. It will be okay and I'm okay. But be on your way and live your life. Yeah. Sometimes that's what those readings are good for, for those people that are stuck in the rut for, again, a variety of reasons. And, you know, they're as innumerable as there are humans on the face of this earth. And, um, again, guys, uh, thank you for being part of my audience. I have a great list of guests coming on. And I'm, I, I think it's great what Mark Anthony did when he did his tour. He, he transitioned into, hey, I gotta, uh, I'm gonna do my tour. I'm just gonna do it a different way, um, because that's what we need. You know, we, you gotta adapt. We have to adapt I, I, as things are being ironed out, and uh, that we're facing things that nobody's ever had or thought we would be facing. Okay, well, just we'll, we'll have to figure it out. And maybe some things will come back to the way they were and others will not. And then we'll have to figure new things of the ways of doing it. And eventually those new ways will become the norm. You know, um, but life is still good. I mean, we just, we have to, sometimes it takes a little bit of patience to have things worked out. Um, and like I said, everybody's different. And, and, and I mean, but, and, and, you know, me and, and, and Mark were talking about it because a lot of people now with what's happening, it's, it's, it's just about everything that's important to people, their health, their ability to, to, to generate money, to make money, to feed themselves, close their children, uh, live their life, uh, you know, go out to Denny's and eat at, you know, whatever. I mean, basic stuff. It's, it's, it's everything at once that went sideways for uh, a good majority. And I want to, I know it's a worldwide thing, but I'm going to talk as an American for us, like basically within days, it was like, what, what, what do you mean? Huh? Um, that, uh, you know, that, and, you know, and, and of course things change and it seems like everything changes. You know, you watch something one day and then two days later, it's like, no, that's different now. It's like, oh, what? Um, that, but I, I and, and I'll say again what I've always said. I'm, I'm a humanist. I believe in humans. I believe in the goodness of humans. I believe that we will come out of this 
better than before because we are adaptive. We can adapt. It's when people dig in their heels and say, no. Yeah, there's some things that are, that are worth preserving. Absolutely. But then there comes a time when things happen that you say, that's not going to work anymore. And I, we need to adapt. And believe it or not, that is the key to survival is adaptability. Adaptability uh, and this pursuit of happiness. Because that's uh, in the end, that's what we all want to be happy so again guys uh come back every week and also if um you can uh look at the new books that have come out I'm, I'm busy writing in between shows a lot of writing i've got two new books coming out now for 2020 part of the civil universe uh, you can go to marlenepardo.com and you can see what i'm working on uh besides that i have that stranger than fiction stories which is a blog about different just weird news new news old news just weird stuff that I find come across in my research. Um, I have different, you know, it, you can find it on the MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Uh, you'll see there's a tab there for Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, I also, you'll find me on Blogger at Stranger Than Fiction Stories. Um, or on Amazon, you can find me. Uh, I'm also, I just released a... Um, it's a short it's three short stories there it's 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 like what I call horror light for young adults and I have it for free uh, at Smashwords if you want to find it there it's called I've come for my girl and two other dark tales Marlene Pardo Pelliser I am going to be putting that out it's it's um, book one of shadow uh, winter shade stories I'm sorry uh, I'm gonna be putting out some of those it's like a little side so yeah Bottom line, I'm busy farming. <sighs> yeah, farming. Writing the shows. Uh, and basically just uh, going along for the roller coaster. You know what? You know that whole tight. Here we go. I think it's exciting at the end of it all. So, and guys, take care. I hope you're all well. See you next time. <laughs>